Well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And we'll begin reading with verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. We're finishing up this morning our study of these seven churches and the words that Jesus wrote to them. John the Apostle has been exiled on the island of Patmos for preaching. He's given this revelation of Christ that we read back in chapter 1. And then chapters 2 and 3, as we've been for the last several weeks, we see the words that Christ says to his church, to these seven churches, these literal historical churches that existed uh, in the later part of the first century in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And so today we consider the final of these seven churches to which Christ instructed the Apostle John to write. Two churches received no criticism. Smyrna uh, was encouraged in the face of their suffering, in the face of persecution, to press on. And to keep going, even if it got worse. Philadelphia was commended for their faithfulness. It seems as though they had already uh, lived through a period of suffering and persecution. and, And Jesus had nothing to say but good things to commend them for their faithfulness and to encourage them to keep on going. But the other five churches received significant criticism. Ephesus for their lovelessness. He said, you're doing all these great things, but you have just left your first love. Pergamos criticized for their compromise. Many things going well for them, but they had allowed sin to begin to creep in and to have a place in the congregation. Thyatira had taken the next step and compromise had given way to corruption. Sin was open. It was flagrant. They weren't dealing with it, and it was causing significant problems in the church. Sardis Jesus said, you have a reputation for being alive, but in reality, you're dead. You're a dead church. Then we come today to Laodicea, and we hear these last words from Jesus to the churches as he speaks to them this criticism that they are lukewarm. 
lukewarm. Some things you'll need to know about Laodicea that really pertain to these passages. They were known for three main industries, banking, uh, wool or clothing, and uh, medicine, specifically in ISAB. When it comes to their wealth, they were the, the wealthiest uh, commercial center in the entire region. Uh, after an earthquake had leveled the city, they were so wealthy and had so much gold on hand that when Rome sent assistance or uh, offered assistance to help them rebuild their city, they actually turned down government assistance and said, no, we can handle this on our own. We're just fine. Thank you. You keep your government money. They were plenty wealthy and independent. They were known for their wool, their clothing, the sheep that were bred in that area were known for having a beautiful, glossy, black wool, something that wasn't very common throughout uh, the region. And so because of that, garments from Laodicea were exported from their city to the rest of the world. They were the name brand clothing of the first century, that which came from Laodicea. And then they were known also for medicine. People traveled to Laodicea for medical help, their, their medical centers there. But they were especially known for their ISAV. It was a, a powder, and they, they shipped it out as a tablet, and so whoever got it could crush it up and, and mix it with water and make it a, a pasty kind of salve that they would put on the eyes, and apparently it had some sort of benefit uh, because so many people were uh, using it, and they, they were able to export it throughout the world. That's what Laodicea had going for them. They were wealthy, they were independent, they uh, had plenty of business and, and even medicine. But the one downside of the city, the one uh, con, if you will, to living in Laodicea was that the water supply was inadequate. The, the amount of water that they had coming into the city wasn't enough to meet the needs of the people. So they were forced to build an underground aqueduct that piped water in from uh, Hierapolis, and that water was carried for miles through this, and it was really a faulty aqueduct. Uh, by the time it got to Laodicea, the water really wasn't worth much at all. And so as we keep those things in mind and look to see what Jesus says to the church here, notice how he introduces himself. Jesus in every one of these letters has, has introduced himself at the beginning of the letter, and how he introduces himself pertains to the the words he has to say to them. Verse 14, he says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus refers to himself as the Amen. What does that mean? What's an Amen? When do you usually say Amen? Rarely, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> when you hear something you like, Something you agree with. If, if I say, let's just go ahead and practice. You ready? I know we're Baptists and it's early, but Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Right? You agree with that statement. It's an affirmation. It's an affirmation. We say it at the end of a prayer because it's sort of like a, a let it be. We've asked for these things, Lord. We trust you. We believe you. Amen. Do what we've asked. We affirm these things. Jesus calls himself the Amen. Because he is the affirmation, he is the certainty of everything that God has said. First, 2, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him, that is in Christ, are yes. And in him are 
Amen. To the glory of God through us. Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that God has ever made. Every word of God is true and it finds its confirmation, its affirmation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the amen. He refers to himself also as the faithful and true witness. Not only does he affirm everything that the Father has said, but everything that he says in and of himself, he says in accordance with the will of the Father, and it's completely accurate and trustworthy. See, Jesus referred to himself as the truth. He not only tells the truth, but he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So whatever Jesus has to say, he says it and it's accurate, it's true, it's trustworthy, and it's important. He refers to himself here as the beginning of the creation of God. Now there's some confusion among uh, some uh, religious groups that read a verse like this and see that he's the beginning of the creation of God and consider him a creation himself, a created being. But that's not what he's saying here. It's not that Jesus is the first in the sense that he was created. He was not created, but has been one with the Father from eternity past. But he's the beginning of the creation of God in the sense that he is the beginner or the originator, the one who initiated creation. When we read in Genesis 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, John 1 clarifies by telling us that all things were made through him, through Christ. And without him was not anything made that was made. So if without Christ nothing that was made was made, then Christ could not have been made because he could not have been made without him. Does that make sense? Jesus is not a created being. He's one with the Father, the very Son of God, and he is the initiator, the originator, the beginner of all creation. So with Jesus revealing himself here as the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, whatever Christ says to the church must be received as trustworthy, authoritative, and accurate. And that's important for us to know because as we've just read this passage, the words that he says to the church at Laodicea are not easy words to hear. This is probably the harshest and hardest letter of the seven for a church to hear and receive it as true. Because he speaks to this church as a lukewarm church. We've seen a progression through all of this that we went from lovelessness to compromise to corruption to being a dead church. And you wonder, how does it get worse than dead? And he says, oh, they're lukewarm. Oh, well, it must not be so bad. But in reality, this is actually worse. This is a hard letter. So what does Christ have to say to a lukewarm church? What does he say about the church of Laodicea and every church that is lukewarm? Let me summarize these verses in four words. Four words. Number one, they're useless. They're useless. Verse 15, he says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. You see, Laodicea had this problem of water. 
Now, Hierapolis, just some miles away, they were known for their hot springs. That's a benefit to a people, to have these hot springs. Now, Colossae, another nearby city, they were known for their cold, refreshing water that flowed from the mountain. So you've got both nearby. You've got Hierapolis with their hot springs, Colossae with their cold, refreshing water, but Laodicea's water piped into the city from Hierapolis through this underground aqueduct for miles. By the time it got to them, it was lukewarm and it was dirty. On a cold day, you know this, boiling hot water can be used to make a comforting cup of tea or coffee and you can enjoy it. Or you can run a hot bath for that soothing sensation, right, to warm up. On a hot day, on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's North Carolina, you might have the same in, in one week, you never know. Uh, on, a, on a hot day, cold water is, there's, there's nothing more refreshing than coming inside from working out in the heat and having a, a cup of cold water to drink, to cool off. But lukewarm water really isn't comforting or soothing. In many ways, without some change to its temperature, it's useless to meet these needs. There were people like that in Laodicea and in churches today. In Laodicea, they professed to be Christians. They claimed to know Christ. They gathered as the church, but they fit in just as well with the world around them as they did with Christians. There was no distinction. Their identity was mixed up between the two. The city of Laodicea is independent, self-sufficient. We're wealthy. We've got all these things taken care of, and the people in the church have the same attitude. Hey, we're wealthy. We're self-sufficient. We're healthy. We got our act together. There's sin going on in the world. There's sin going on in the church without distinction. In the church today, there are people who come and they sit on a church pew more Sundays than not perhaps have some measure of responsibility or service in the church. But in reality, there's nothing distinctly Christian about the way they live their lives. Sin, even if it looks religious, has a hold on many people's lives in churches, in the lives of lukewarm Christians. And these kinds of Christians, these professing Christians, are useless to Christ. Paul told Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, he says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We want to be useful. We want to be sanctified for, the, for God's work. So what do we do? He says the very next verse. He says, flee youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace with all who call on the Lord. Do it out of a pure heart. You want to be useful to God? He says just there, he says, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Knowing that they generate strife. Lukewarm Christians don't pursue love. They don't pursue peace. And they're always caught up in senseless arguments. And because of that, they are useless to the master. This is a hard letter. 
The first thing is they're useless. The second is they're disgusting. I hope you came to be encouraged this morning. <laughs> disgusting. Visitors to Laodicea wouldn't have been accustomed to the water situation. And unknowing what it was like, consumed some water and immediately spit it out. Don't imagine that he's talking about a relatively cool room temperature kind of water here. I'll just be honest, I prefer to drink my water that way. And a lot of you do too. There's a setting on our cooler out here. You can get it cold or you can get it room temperature. That's not what we're talking about here. Instead, think of that hot day in the summer where you get up and you leave the house and you take a cold bottle of water with you and you put it in your cup holder and then you go into the grocery store and you're in there for an hour or however long you're gone and then you come back out to the car and you grab your bottle of water after it's sat in the sun and you don't think about it but you take the cap off, you turn it up to get a drink because you're so thirsty and it's terrible. It's disgusting and you can't help but make the face as you choke it down. And the only reason you don't spit it out is because you're sitting in your car and you just cleaned it. You know what I'm talking about. I'd say it's like forgetting your cup of coffee and then coming back later and taking a drink, not realizing it cooled off. But some of y'all are weird and like that. This is, this is disgusting, lukewarm. It's not cold. It's not hot. It's that terrible place in between that makes you just want to spit it out. Jesus says, verse 16, So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's exactly what Jesus says to the church of Laodicea. This is what lukewarm Christians are like to him. He finds lukewarm churches disgusting. Some translations use the word spew or spit, but the Greek word literally translates vomit. That forceful, violent vomit. There's a stomach bug going around right now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's disgusting. It's hard to imagine that Christ would say these things to a church, to people who profess to know him, to be Christians. God spoke this way to Israel back in Jeremiah 3, using language just as strong, he said, The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She's gone up on every mountain and under every tree, and there played the harlot. And I said after she had done these things, Return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I'd put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Talking about idols. And yet for all of this, and her treacherous sister Judah has not returned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Israel was unfaithful to the Lord, and he spoke in terms of harlotry and divorce. Adultery. That's what it's like when, you're, when they were not faithful to the Lord. And now Jesus looks to, the, to people who profess to be Christians in a lukewarm church, and he says, you're like the vomit coming out of my mouth. He says they're useless, they're disgusting. Third, he says they're self-deceived. 
self-deceived. Verse 17, he says, Because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Notice the, the two parts here. He says, you say, and then he says, you do not know that you are. You say one thing, but you are something else, and you don't realize it. You say you're rich, but you're wretched. You say you're wealthy, but you're miserable. You say you don't need anything, but you're poor and blind and naked. That's the really dangerous part about being lukewarm, is you're in a terrible situation and you don't even know it. You have just enough Christianity, just enough religion to think you're just fine. And anyone who questions the sincerity of your love for Christ or the genuineness of your faith, oh, they're just being judgmental and hateful. In fact, here's the reality. Here's the reality. If you're lukewarm, and I can't see your hearts. Listen, this is between you and the Lord. If you're lukewarm, you, you just might be getting angry sitting in your pew right now that someone would suggest such a thing. But Jesus offers remedy. He doesn't want to leave them there. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In and of yourself, you are utterly deficient. You cannot restore your relationship to God on your own. But Christ is totally sufficient. He's all you need. He can meet your needs. You're poor. You're miserable. You're naked. You're blind. And He can give you life and health and spiritual riches and sight. Come, get your riches from me. Let me robe you in righteousness and cover your shame. Let me heal your eyes so you can finally see the truth. That's what he offers to the lukewarm church. Here's why. Because of the fourth thing. It's not all bad, okay? They're, they're useless. They're disgusting. They're self-deceived. But fourthly, they're loved. They're loved. If he didn't love the lukewarm church, he would just let them go on in sin until they met their destruction. But instead, he says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Friend, if you're a lukewarm Christian and he is convicting you of sin this morning and it hurts, it's because he loves you. And wants to restore you. You know Hebrews 12 verse 5 and 6. He says, my son, do not despise the chastening, the discipline of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges every son whom he receives. We discipline our children. And I'll just be honest, neither of my sons have ever thanked me for disciplining them. Not yet. I'm holding on. Because they don't enjoy it. They don't like it. It's hard to hear that you're wrong. But why do we do it? Because we love them. 
Why did you discipline your children? Why do you discipline your children? Because you love them. And you don't want them to go on in their sin and face its consequences. Just like we discipline our own children out of love for them, so Christ calls out our sin so that we may be right with him and know his love. Christ loves his church, even the lukewarm ones. He stands at the door of the lukewarm church and he knocks. Verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Here's the sad part about this. Here's a church where Christ isn't even present. He's not even been allowed to come in through the door. They think they're okay. They think they've got enough religion, enough Christianity to be just fine. But Jesus isn't even there. Oh, that's probably true of more churches than we would like to admit. The door has been shut to him. He's shut out of many churches today. They profess his name, but he has no part in what actually goes on there. Unfortunately, many professing Christians live that way in their own personal lives too. Professing Christ, but if you look at their lives, how they make decisions, how they arrange their schedules, what they spend their money on, what they do with their time, really there's nothing on there that would indicate that they are Christians. Nothing distinctly Christian. Their, their life and, and priorities look just like everybody else's around them. Other than maybe going to church most Sundays. But instead of burning the church down or giving up and walking away, he stands and knocks. I used to be in the pest control business and we would make appointments with people, you know, and they knew we were coming. We'd sh I'd show up at their house and the worst thing in the world is to have an appointment with somebody and show up at their house and they're not home. So I had a 15 minute rule. If I knocked on your door and waited for 15 minutes and you didn't call me and tell me you were running late, I was going to leave. Just a personal standard I set for myself because I don't have time to wait around on you all day. Jesus has set no such rule. He stands at the door of the church and he knocks. Why? Because he says, if somebody will just open the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with them. I'll eat. We'll spend time together. We'll fellowship. We'll enjoy one another's company. We'll make plans together. We can have sweet communion. That's what he longs for in the church. That's what he longs for in your life personally. Here's the conclusion. Jesus' words of criticism to the lukewarm church are hard to hear. It's hard to hear. Imagine gathering around and saying, hey, we got a letter from the Apostle John. He said Jesus had something to say to us. And they all gather around and the, the pastor or whoever stands up in the front and starts to read. And you're useless. You're disgusting. You're self-deceived. That's hard to hear. But he says you're loved. Because even though his words of criticism to the lukewarm church are hard to hear, he speaks them out of a love and from a desire for fellowship with his church. Here's the reality. If you go on living a halfway Christianity and refusing the correction of Christ, you may not be a Christian at all. 
If Christ comes and offers words of criticism or correction and you refuse to hear them, you may not be born again. You need to repent and put your trust in Jesus and in him alone because he's your only hope for salvation. You need to repent and be saved before your self-deception takes you all the way to hell. If you're a genuine Christian, but maybe you've slid into sin, maybe you've been through the progression we've seen in these churches that maybe it started with just a lack of love, some lovelessness, and then compromise, and then corruption, and so on, and now you're just a, a one who professes Christ, but your life has become something that looks very little like a biblical Christian. Know this. Jesus loves you. And he wants to restore you. He wants fellowship with you again. If you'll repent. Jesus died for the church. You don't lay down your life for somebody and then not care what happens to them afterwards. Jesus died for the church. He took your sins on himself. Paid your debt. Died as your substitute. Was buried and on the third day rose from the dead so that you could be saved and have fellowship with him. He loves you and there's nothing that you could ever do to change that. We are his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And when we stray, he will do anything to bring you back. We read that passage in Jeremiah where he accused them of harlotry, adultery. He said, I might as well just write a certificate of divorce. But here's what he went on to say in that same passage. He said, return backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever, only Acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. Church, Christian, if you're lukewarm, if you've slid into sin, He loves you. He says, just acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your sin. Repent. And what does John tell us in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from most of our unrighteousness. No. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to take some time to pray this morning. Bow your heads. Judy's going to come play at the piano. Search your heart. Rather ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And right there where you are, quiet, alone, whatever sins he has brought to your mind, confess them. Forsake them. If you're loveless, if you've compromised, or even become corrupted, 
or if you're lukewarm, repent. He will take you back. If you're lost and headed for destruction, call on him for mercy and he will forgive and save. Father, in this time of prayer, I pray that your spirit would search our hearts. Show us where we really stand with you and draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name.